Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this morning. Lord, we pray that you will make us new today, that your word will speak to us. Lord, may it not be my words that people hear, but may it be a message from you. May it be, uh, Lord, filled with your Holy Spirit. May your power move and transform lives. Lord, many of us come today with lots on our mind, lots on our hearts, lots that we have experienced this past week. But may we just turn ourselves over to you, that you may now speak to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today, and thank you for being part of this service. I hope you always feel free to raise your hand, to clap, to to shout out, to sing, to be quiet, because we want this to be a place where you encounter God where you are. Thank you, Mr. Wayne, for sharing today for all the stuff that you had to, uh, that we can get involved with. So let's do remember the baby wipes and the diapers that we need to be bringing on Mother's Day for that drive. Today we're going to continue the series that we've been working on with Let Us Pray. And hopefully you've been praying this last week as we looked at the scriptures uh, from last week of how to pray for God's power and His message to enter into people's lives. Today we're going to pick up again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 where Paul is once again referencing prayer and what he is praying about. Today I want you to know that the greatest work we can do is the work of prayer. Prayer is what the work really is about. If we embark upon anything without praying first, we have fallen short. That includes coming to church on Sunday morning. Why do we even come to church? Many will say, because I want to come and hear the Word. Some will say, because I love the music. Some would say, because I want to come see that uh, bass player dance while he's playing and move his head like this. You know, there's a lot of reasons why people come to church. But why do we come? Why do we come to a place? Why do we tune in online? Why do we call a church our home? You know, when someone joins the church years ago, I thought it was just something that, you know, really didn't have any biblical relevance. It was just something we do, and it wasn't that big of a thing. But, but I've come to understand that joining a church is declaring that is my family, that is my home in which I'm going to pour into those people, and they're going to pour into me. It is a commitment to say, this place is important. But what makes up the church? It is you and I. It's the organism of us. I guarantee you, if I asked you right now, Whose favorite color is blue? Some of you are going to raise your hand. Some of you are not. I saw some hands going up. If your favorite color is blue, raise your hand. If your favorite color is red, raise your hand. If you don't even have a favorite color, raise your hand. See how different we are. If you love pizza, raise your hand. If you would rather eat anything but pizza, raise your hand. See how different we are. We are different, but yet God pulls us together to form this thing called the church. It's not about this building. It's about you and I. And what makes a difference when you, when you join together? We have people who actually join with us who, who are not able to come into this room. Did you know that? 
with today's technology, we have a member that lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, that actually participates in stuff. And I guarantee you, we're probably going to get some baby wipes or diapers from this lady. She does that with the food pantry. She's involved in the church. And this is her church home. Because she loves you and she loves Christ. And she wants to grow to be like Christ. We have a family that's bigger than the person sitting next to you. And some of you are probably saying, thank God I got somebody besides this one. <laughs> Come on, Juanina. I know you were thinking it. <laughs> I love Miss Juanita and Mr. Eddie. They take care of this place around here. And if you remember the lady that stood up here, Miss Jackie Powers, who said, our campus is so clean and it looks so nice. Thank you, Mr. Eddie and Miss Juanita, for doing that. Let me tell you, if you ever want to be blessed, come be a fly on a wall and listen to them clean. She will get all over him. You didn't sweep it right. You didn't mop it white. Right? You need to clean that again. <laughs> but they're family. Y'all have been married how long? 65 years they have been married. A Yankee married a Southerner, she said. Their family, 65 years together. All of you in this room are family because we call this our home. And Paul relates to this here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want us to begin to look at this because God has something for somebody today to let you know that you are not alone in this world and what you're going through. Even this week, we have had people in this church go through some devastating things. But you know what I think is beautiful? There's some ladies in this church stepping up this afternoon to help the family feed them after the funeral. It's because we are a family. We are, we are a home church. Now, for some people, the word family, as we've heard about some of these families that these foster children come from, the word family does not mean something positive. When you hear the word family, you begin to think about all the, the negative and, and all the abuse and all the hard stuff that you've gone through. But when you come to God's house, family needs to take on a whole new meaning that no matter where you've been or where you're going, you're going to be loved, you're going to be cared for, and arms are going to be wrapped around you. That's what God's house is supposed to be about. That's what this family should be. And I am very thankful that I can declare up here to you that I believe it is. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, Paul writes these words to these believers that are in this church in Thessalonica. He says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. You know, the very first thing about the prayer, prayers and the praises here that Paul is writing down, that he's communicating to this church, is the very first thing is that he has joy-filled thanksgiving because of the people in that place. Can I tell you something? I have joy-filled thanksgiving because of the people in this place. There are so many people that make it a joy to be a pastor here. There are so many of you that just, just you're loving on each other. You're caring for one another. You're calling each other. You are there to respond whenever there's a need in this place. I have a joy-filled thanksgiving for all of you. 
the encouragement that I receive and the others in this church receive. Joy-filled, not just thanksgiving, because I can thank God for a lot, of, a lot of people and a lot of things, but I have joy overflowing in my heart when I think about Chicopee Baptist Church. Sometimes I'll receive a text after a, a, a message or after, after a, a service and I'll, I won't even read it for days because I keep it at the top because it just fills me with joy to know there's people like you in this place. And you know, the other thing that I love about what Paul says here has to do with the environment we've been living in. Over the last year, we have been living in a thing called quarantine. Churches were shut down. People have not been able to come to church. And thank God, many of you are back. Can I do a dance again? He's dancing in the pulpit. He's a Baptist. Yeah. About being Baptist. I'm just a crazy nut for Jesus Christ. That's what I am. And I'm glad to see you because look at what Paul says here. And let's begin again in verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face. Over the last year, many people have seen my face, but I haven't seen their face. Over the last year, there's been many of you that's, that's had to stay home because of the coronavirus. And can I tell you something? I am so glad you're back. You look better now than you did a year ago. You are so much better looking than, than you were a year ago. Not to say you were bad last year, okay? It's just so good to see all of you. And there's so many more that we're waiting to see come back. Did you know that we have actually three congregations? Once the coronavirus started last year, we, we immediately had three congregations. One was people who would actually come, and, and they trickled in. At first, we had 10 in the room. Then we had 20. And then we had, you know, 30. Then we had 60. Then we went back to 30. Then we started trending back up. So people who actually came into this room was one congregation. We had another congregation that was only watching online. If you had to watch online this last year, would you raise your hand? Look at, the, look at that congregation that was watching online this last year. Now, there's a third congregation that could not come to this room nor watch online, but yet were still part of this church family. That was those who didn't have the ability to watch online. But yet, they're back because this is their church home. If you are not able to watch online, but yet you are still part of this church, would you raise your hand if you didn't get to watch online? Look, there's some over here, right there. Did not get to watch online, but this is your church home. Three congregations. And you know what I love? Is we try to love on all three, and, and they're all different. Thankfully, things are beginning to change, but we have a desire to be together to see each other's face. Why is that? Because we're family. This is a home. This is a place where you can be loved and love people. Do you know Christians are never called in Scripture to live their faith in isolation? Never in Scripture will you find where once you become a believer in Christ, are you to live in isolation from all other believers? In some way, however way you can do it, you need to connect with other believers. Because when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a part of a family. We become brothers and sisters in Christ. Some people cannot be here physically. Some people, there are things going on in their lives. Some people, they, you know, with the coronavirus, and, and they're not able to even watch online. But you know what? It doesn't change the fact that they're part of our family. 
that we need to love on them. So when you meet with fellow Christians, you will experience God on a whole different level than when you do when you isolate yourself. You have people in your life when you're part of a church home that can help you when you're down and when you're sad, who can help you through those tough days. And you've got people that will rejoice with you when good things are going on. You've got people that will pray for you and people who will lift up praises with you. That's the beauty of a church home and a church family. So many people in the world misunderstand church to think that's just a bunch of religious nuts and you go there and you hear about all these do's and don'ts and it's, it's just not a place for me. Let me tell you something. That's not what church is about. Church is about coming together as people who are undeserving of the grace of God, receiving His mercy, knowing that all of us, was it not for Christ, would be condemned. But because of Christ, we can walk this life together with the acceptance of God's love and His grace to become better men and women for God. That's what church is about. It isn't about being perfect. It isn't about uh, absolutely finding everything you're looking for. This is not a clubhouse. This is God's house. Ooh, that was good. I'm going to say that again. Lord, thank you for that. This is not a clubhouse. This is God's house. So if you come for any other reason except for encountering God and connecting with each other and connecting with Him, let's do a, a little honest examination today. Because truly and really, this is God's house. We need to connect with Him and we need to connect with each other. This is not an event to come and be entertained with. This is a place to come and encounter a holy and living God and connect with each other and put our arms around each other and pray for one another and care for each other. You know what's beautiful about this place? Is that you guys do that. See, not only did Paul have joy-filled thanksgiving, but he had a desire to be together with God's people to see their faith grow. See, when you're together with God's people, you can see your faith begin to grow because you're in Bible studies together. You're doing life together. You get to talk about stuff. I guarantee you, I have had conversations with people who are even in this room at this very moment that, that has said being in church has made a difference in their life. Just being here. And yes, God has done something big in their life, but it's because of the people who are in this room that they love being here and being part of this place. Today, if you are here for the first time, know that, that I'm not trying to convince you to be part of this church. I'm trying to convince you to be part of a family somewhere, a, a group of believers somewhere, so that you can experience the beauty of God through others. You can't expect to maximize your growth in Christ by living in isolation. So, let's go on to see what Paul knew. And what Paul really truly knew here was that the church is meant to be a loving community. Can I just say that again? The church is meant to be a loving community. Not just a community, not just where we come and sit next to each other, but a loving community of people living together. Living life together, intent and purpose. Not on one purpose, because there's multiple purposes that we can find in Scripture. 
You know, it is a wonderful thing to hear people like Bill Hybel said, the church is supposed to look like a miracle of diversity, not one slice of humanity. He had to discover that the hard way. A pastor who finally decided that it's not about reaching one little slice of the community. It's about the diversity of people coming together. And here's what I love. If you are under 20 years old, raise your hand. Larry, put your hand down. <laughs> All right. Several hands are back, back there in the booth. If you're, if you're under 30 years old, raise your hand. Okay. If you're uh, between 20 and 30, let's do it that way. Between 20 and 30, I see the hands. If you're 30 to 60, raise your hand. Okay, you see more of a number all of a sudden. If you're 60 or higher, raise your hand. All right, you see a great diversity in this room of generations. Can I tell you, generations think differently and deal with different stuff? The generation that's growing up right now is dealing with stuff like I never had to deal with. And I am glad I'm not a teenager right now. Man, my heart goes out for all of you. It is hard and it is tough to grow up in this culture, in this society. And you know who needs to be praying for them and who needs to be uh, helping the parents and wrapping our arms around these teens to grow? All the other people that raised your hand because we're a family. You know what breaks my heart? The number of hands that went up for under 30 in this room. And I hope it made you think for a moment. Because... We're living in a culture that that age group does not find the same value you do in church. Many of you are going to come to church. In fact, those who were not watching online, those who, who were not able to be part of this congregation over the last year, they stay committed to this church because that's a value they have. I guarantee you, if you talk to any of them, if you're young and you talk to them about church, they're going to tell you, well, that's my church. That's my church, and I'm, I'm, I'm committed, I'm there. But you know what we're growing up in? Well, if that one's not quite what I like, there's plenty on the menu that I can go find something else. Just like going to a restaurant. What, what are you in the mood for today? I don't know, Mexican, maybe Chinese, maybe a burger. And they treat church the same way. And unfortunately, they don't understand committing to one place. And you want to see young people commit to a place? Be authentic, be real, and love on them. Is that any different than what any of us need? It isn't. We need to be authentic and real and love on people. The idea in Scripture is about uh, the fellowship. And we can find this in Acts chapter 2, how they had things in common. And they were meeting each other's needs. And they were meeting together. And they were involved in each other's life. And that was what church was about. Can I tell you, that shouldn't be any different today. We need to be involved in each other's life. We need to be calling each other, talking to each other, building relationships. You don't have to know everybody in the room. But you need to know somebody in the room. I'd challenge you like I did a few years ago. Somebody who's not of your generation getting to know their name, getting to know them. So that you can call them by name, so that you can speak to them. Tony Evans said, The church isn't a gathering of strangers like fans at a ball game who just happen to be sitting next to each other. How, how many of you have ever been to a ball game? I have. How many of you have ever felt awkward by the person you were sitting next to at a ball game or a concert? I see some heads shaking. 
It just feels weird sometimes. The person next to you, you're going, okay, I wish this chair, I could slide it over just a little bit and get away from them. Have you ever felt that? Hopefully you've never experienced that in church, but sometimes, sometimes you may. But what Tony Evans is saying is he, he's saying church should never be like going to a ball game, sitting next to strangers. He goes on to say, the church is a community of individuals spiritually linked together with the purpose of reflecting and spreading the values of the kingdom of God. That's why we come together. That's why we partner with people like families to families. That's why we get involved with Good Samaritan Ministry and hand out food here. It's because we want to spread the good news of the gospel together. I can't do it by myself. Lord knows I'd make a mess of it if I tried. 1 John chapter 4 20 and 21 in the Message Bible says, If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Now let's get to the heart of the situation. It's easy to love the people we like, right? It's easy to have a relationship with the, those who look like us, those who are in the same generational grouping as us because we've got a lot in common. We can talk about things that we have values with. Man, we can talk politics and get along most of the time if we're in the same generational group. But boy, you get outside of that and you get all kinds of things that happen. And there's conflict left and right. How many of you are just sick and tired of the conflict in this world right now? Every time you turn on the TV or look on Facebook, it's conflict. It's conflict. Every time you turn around, there's somebody hating on somebody else and bad things being said. I'm sick and tired of it. So why don't God's people step up, rise up and say enough with that and let's get along in the church so the people outside the church will look and say, how are they doing that? And we can stand and simply declare... It's because of Jesus Christ that takes the diversity of people in church and brings them together in a way that they are intent on a purpose. And that is to see Jesus Christ infiltrate our communities and our homes and our world. Because let me tell you what makes a difference. It's Jesus. You know that, don't you? You could have finished my sentence because you've heard me say it over and over. Jesus makes the difference. But if we don't love each other, they will not care about the Jesus we say that we love. As we look in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes some more words that he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Ouch! That's a little numbing right there. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let me put it to you this way. Conduct yourself as if Jesus is standing right next to you every second of your day. So that whether I come and see you or I remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. We come together intent on a purpose because we want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrate people's lives. We want to see transformation happen because of Jesus being introduced to lives. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 a little closer as to what he actually prays in verse 11. Here's a prayer that Paul prays. 
for us. Now may our God and Father. Notice he doesn't say your God or the God. He says now may our God and Father. This is a joining together of a family idea here. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord. He names them both. Direct our way to you. One of the first things that we can pray is that the Lord directs our path. That the Lord will direct us in a direction that He wants us to go. You know, it is, it's very difficult sometimes when you hear about all these ministry opportunities that come up. And you begin to wonder, which ones do we pursue after? Because I am firm in believing you don't need to pursue every ministry that comes before the church. Because it needs to fit in with the body of the church, who we are, because we are an organism, not an organization. So we are always looking for God to direct our paths in a certain direction to partner with people who are going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. I'm not so interested in just helping people feel good. I'm interested in partnering with people who give them the thing that will change their life, and that's Jesus. That's who I want to see, and I want to see God direct our path as a church, but also direct our path individually. Because if we're looking for His path rather than our path, it's going to take us into places we sometimes don't want to go, but because we get there, God's going to do things we never thought was possible. And that's what we need to be praying for, is that God will direct our paths. Let's look on to the the next thing He mentions that He prays about. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you. Think about this. He is simply saying that, uh, praying that the Lord will increase our love for one another. I mean, we love each other in here, don't we? Well, we know that Buddy loves other people. It's very obvious. He's, he, he will tell anybody and everybody he loves everybody who's here. We do love each other. But how far will that love go? Where do we draw lines on love? Can I tell you where Jesus drew his line on love? Dying on the cross for you and I. If we are to love one another, it means that we got to overlook some of the things that we disagree on sometimes. Some of the things that we don't get along with. And we love each other anyway. I mean, you can't have a happy marriage if you expect that you're going to agree on everything. I can tell you now, Jane and I don't agree on everything, but I love her even though she's wrong. (laughs) She's not in here right now. She had to take my daughter to theater, so she had to leave early. But y'all don't tell her I said that. But to have a happy marriage, it takes work. It's not about being happy. It's about making a commitment to love one another. You know, one of the things that we've done recently that just thrilled my heart is when the youth during United Weekend went to the homes of many of our our senior adults. Man, that was just so awesome. If you had a youth visit you at home, would you raise your hand? Some of you were, we were not able to get to you. But I'm telling you, what a joy it was for them to come see you. You know, We want to do more of that here in this place. We want to see 
us love on one another like never before. And the prayer is that our love will increase. You know what that means? We're never content with how much we're loving. If you ever get to a place that you think, well, my love is capped out. This is as far as I'm going in loving. Then you're missing the idea of this prayer. Praying that our love will increase is huge. We have to pray that our love will increase for one another. Jesus Christ, He put forth the ultimate idea for this concept. He loved. He loved even though He knew that Judas would betray Him. He loved Judas anyway. Even though He knew that you and I would be a mess, He died for us anyway. Even though He knew we would disappoint Him, He died for us anyway. You know what I can relate that to? Being a father myself. I remember when my children were born, that no matter what they did, what they said, I knew that they'd probably disappoint me and hurt my feelings at some point. Jayanna never has, nor has E.E. or Buddy. They're all three perfect. But <laughs> regardless, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will love them no matter what they do. I will die for my children, regardless of how they act. And that is just a small glimpse of God's love for you and I. Who are we to love each other any less than Christ loved us? So the prayer is that the Lord would increase our love for one another. Even Jesus said that you can tell who are His disciples because of how they love one another. The world needs to see and know that those who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior can love people. It comes from each of us being in a dynamic relationship, number one, with Jesus, but with each other. Now, the third thing is, is our love abounds for one another and all the people. Not just for those who are in this room, but for those outside these walls. Those who pull up who are hungry during the, 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 the first Wednesday of every month when we're feeding people out here and we're giving them food. We love them. We love our community. We must see that abound. You know what that word abound means? It means that it's never ending. It's, it's increasing. It's growing. It's there. It doesn't fade away. We have to continue to love each other. And I'm glad that we're in a place that does that. Because this world that we live in measures greatness by power, by position, and by pleasure. But the heavenly greatness is measured simply by servanthood, love, and relationships. We have a choice to either find greatness as the world sees it through power and pleasure and position, or we can see it through God's eyes and see greatness in a heavenly manner that has to do with servanthood, serving one another, loving one another, and having connection with each other. Ken Blanchard said, The journey of life is to move from a self-serving heart to a serving heart. Somebody needs to write this down. This is good, especially if you're young. You finally become an adult when you realize that life is about what you give rather than what you get. You know what our culture is trying to teach everyone, including all of us of any generation, is it's all about what you get. It's all about me. It's all about what I get and what I want, and I want more. Please give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. 
But I love what he said, that we become an adult when we realize and we begin to act like it's not simply about what we get, but what we give. Can I challenge you today? Don't wait for someone to come ask you what your name is. Go find out what someone else's name is. Start a conversation. Even for the introverts who, who's like, you, mean I, you want me to talk to somebody? Are you out your mind? I'm not an... I'm not an extrovert. I, it's hard for me to say something to somebody. We'll just go stand next to somebody that looks like they're an extrovert and just stand there and say, hey. I mean, really. If you don't know this guy right here in this white shirt, just go stand next to him and say, hey. I guarantee you, you'll get in a conversation. There's many people in this room that you can get to know. There are people that you haven't seen in a while. I challenge you, in fact, we're going to get to that in our seven-day challenge in a second, to pick up the phone and connect with them this next week. The fourth thing is this. The Lord establishes a blameless and holy heart in me. We can pray about each other. We can pray about our church. We can pray about us becoming loving and our love abounding and our love increasing and God giving us direction. But let me tell you something. God cannot move until our hearts are holy and pure. Now, notice here that Paul does not say sinless. Verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts without blame and in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul doesn't say that he may establish your heart to be completely sinless. He said blameless. He said holy. Pastor, what's the difference? It's establishing your heart to live as Christ has called us to live. And when you sin and mess up, it bothers you. And you do something about it. You don't simply go, well, you know what? Christ died on the cross. It's all good. And you go back to doing it again. Let's pray for each other and let's pray for ourselves that God may establish in our hearts. That means put roots down, make it something that sticks, something that will be there for a while, establish in our heart blameless and holiness. And I guarantee you, guarantee you, you can take it to the bank, write it down, put it on the calendar. If we will pray for God to establish in our hearts Holiness, that we may be blameless before Him. Revival will break out in this place like never before. Because God's people will be drawing close to God. And people will be changed and drawn to this place. So here's the thing today. Pray that faith will mature, that love will grow, and character and conduct and our hearts will belong to Christ in everything we do. You pray those things for one another. You pray those things for yourself. And we're going to see God do great stuff in this place. How many of you would just love to see God just bust loose in this place and just do amazing stuff in the community? Let me tell you. You know what? I rejoice there's been seven people saved since January 1 because of this church. It's right over here on the board. Seven people. Six at one of the food things. One at Easter online raised their hand and accepted Christ. Seven people have gotten saved because of Chicopee Baptist Church. But you know what? I'm disappointed it's not 700. There's a, there's a list of people who are lost on our lost board that outnumber the number of people who's been saved. 
I want to see revival break loose. I want to see God's people drawn back to Christ. And I want to see the lost get saved and people's lives transformed. And that happens because of the local church of people who love God, who turn their heart and mind to Him, that He begins to work and people's lives are changed. So here's your seven-day challenge. Over the next seven days, connect with someone you did not connect with this past week. Connect with them. Some way, maybe it's a text, maybe it's a phone call, maybe, maybe you go visit them. But connect with someone. Maybe it's somebody you don't even know in this room and you're thinking, all right, I'm going to pick out somebody. I don't know that guy in that white shirt, so I'm going to go stand up there next to him as soon as the service is over and just say, hey. That'll be cool. Everybody in this room has a story. I look around this room, wow, the things that have gone on in lives. There are people in this room that have has experienced loss this year. There are people in this room that have experienced a miracle this year. There are people in this room that have stories of the past that would absolutely rock your world to hear. But we won't know them unless we just connect with each other as Paul is praying here, may our love increase, may it abound, may God direct us, and may we find ourselves holy before a living God. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that because of you, lives can be transformed and changed. We're thankful that because of you, Lord, differences can be made. It's not because our illustrious style or the, the songs we sing or the messages I preach, but it's only because of you that lives are changed and people come to be transformed. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that right now you will rise up inside of us a passion and a desire to pray this week that our love may abound and increase for one another and for all the people in our community. That, Lord, that you will direct our paths and that you will make us individually holy and blameless before you. Lord, that's dangerous to pray those things because if we pray them, and we believe that you can do it, you're going to do something radical and different here in this place. So Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, we pray today that you'll move our hearts, that we may be stirred. In Jesus' name, amen.